Welcome back to the CambiCast Spotlight. I'm your host, Peter Rainier, and in this episode, we'll be diving headfirst into the Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers. As we take a look at one of the biggest single-game sporting events around the globe, Super Bowl 58. This episode will be in two parts as we speak with our guests in the lead-up to and after the game. In part one, we'll be speaking to Steve Ruddick from the Straight to the Point newsletter, as well as Camby's David Ball, head of pre-match NFL. Recorded ahead of the Super Bowl, we discuss expectations for the game, its impact on the industry, and how a trading team prepares for one of the biggest sporting events of the year. In part two, we'll be joined by Danny Dorenzo, Senior Director of Government Relations for GeoComply, Hugh Arnold, Camby's head of live NFL and MLB trading, and once again, Steve Ruddick, as we assess the game and look in-depth at the industry trends across the U.S. emerging from the Super Bowl. We're a few days away from the game now, and before kickoff, we're speaking with Steve Ruddick and David Ball. Thanks, Steve, for joining. We'll jump right in. The American Gaming Association put out their annual numbers and projections for the Super Bowl, which have grown since last year and the year before. So broader picture, I just want to get your take on how much the Super Bowl has grown from a betting perspective. Yeah, it's very interesting watching those numbers creep up and creep up every year. So whatever you think of the numbers, uh, it's a clear indication that the market is nowhere near its maturity. Even by the AGA's estimates, a lot of the betting is still done either through illegal channels or is happening in more social settings, whether it's Super Bowl squares or any casual betting between friends. I think what you've seen since the um, overturn of PASPA is the Super Bowl has become one of these events every year that it kind of stands alone on the calendar. It used to be Super Bowl was two places made out really well during the Super Bowl. So you had Las Vegas and then you had whatever the host city of the Super Bowl was. A lot of tourism for those two places. But now with legal betting in so many states, you're starting to see that same aspect come around to different locales. So wherever you have a casino that has a retail sports book, it's going to attract land-based tourism traffic. And of course, you're seeing massive rise in online betting. So that's actually a good segue into this topic. You know, obviously not every state is regulated yet. Two of those states are California and Missouri, which is where the two teams are from playing in the Super Bowl. Is that kind of a huge missed opportunity for those states? Yeah, especially for California. So Missouri's got some sports betting states around it where, you know, if if they're so inclined, they can take a little little, uh, weekend trip. California's kind of off on its own there. It's such a large state. Yeah, I think that as you see those states, I I would assume that if you had legal betting in both of those states this year, the numbers from Eilers and Krejcik, which they put Nevada Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. top state with about 13% of the total market share because of the host city and the Super um, Super Bowl history of betting in Nevada. So I think if you had California in the mix there, that would clearly be the biggest state for market share and Missouri would well punch way above its weight because of the chiefs. I think you're going to see a huge, huge increase in Kansas because of the proximity to the chiefs and how Kansas residents are usually chiefs fans. Yeah. And even Nevada, the accessibility to bet on sports in person there is huge, but you know, doing it online, it's not as easy as other States is just kind of opening an app and signing up and you have to go in person and register there. I wonder how how big that could be if it was a little more accessible for for Vegas and Nevada. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it's a it's a tourism based event, so it, you have all these people flying in, and wherever they're staying, they'll probably open up a sports betting account, which is a little simpler. You walk down to the sports book and open it, 
but if they wanted to bet elsewhere, it's a, it's a little more difficult. I remember years ago, I went to the um, Carolina New England Super Bowl in Las Vegas back in 2004. I'm kind of mm-hmm. showing my age. Nice. But, uh, <laughs> and I remember me and my friends, we went around to like six different sports books because some of them were looking for certain prop bets. Some, some of them were looking for different things. One of them didn't like the odds, thought he could get it better at another place. And it is if that if we were doing that online now, it'd be much easier. But it would yeah. also be just as much of a hassle to register those accounts. Yeah. So actually, it was my next question. Um, when it comes to acquisition and retention, obviously the Super Bowl is huge for that. Like you mentioned, what makes it different from other sporting events? And you know, we see like FanDuel's Kick of Destiny. Like, is that one of those offers made to just bring in someone to to try and get in on the action, sign up for their app, and then they see the offers, bet five dollars, get two hundred. So how does that differ from from other events? Yeah, so typical NFL Sunday, you have games throughout the day. With the mm-hmm. Super Bowl, you're you're waiting around till six o'clock, but you want that viewer to be tuned in hours and hours before the game. Mm-hmm. So you have all this in. There's parties around it. There's people at their houses. There's people at sports books. There's all these things. So how do you keep their interest? And I think like the um, FanDuel offer is one one example of that with Gronk. They're they're just trying to keep people engaged before the game, during the game, and it is. It's a it's a strange event that you don't get very often. You get it around March Madness. You get it around um, the Super Bowl, a little bit around the Kentucky Derby, something like that. It's where people that normally don't watch sports watch sports. Mm-hmm. So when you look at like the Super Bowl viewing numbers, you see that there's there's a new audience watching. It's just not your average NFL fan. So that that's where that ability to bring in new customers and the I think the key for sports books is what am I giving them that's going to bring them back? Not every day, not I'm not turning them into, you know, you know, they're going to watch the NFL every day, but how do I get them to constantly, when they are going to place a bet, they're going to use my app. They're going to like what they found here. It's a different type of better during the Super Bowl. You're not yeah. looking at your, your typical Sunday NFL better. You're looking at an influx of new betters. You're looking at a lot of inactive betters that are being reactivated during this mm-hmm. one game. You're looking at existing betters that are exploring their options at other sports books during this time, looking for different different offers. So you have all these things happening at the same time, and it's a really great opportunity for a sports book or the industry at large to kind of show off, to show off what they have, to highlight their, their products, yep. and maybe retain some of these customers. So last question, I want to talk about Bet Builder a little bit. On the Canby Network, we saw this year about 28% of all bets placed on the NFL were same-game parlay bets. That number has grown over last year, over the year before. And the Super Bowl obviously offers more markets than any game throughout the season. What do you anticipate this year as far as Bet Builders go? Are those going to continue to grow? Yeah, I think your existing betters are going to stick with their habits. Maybe they'll mm-hmm. even increase the number of like bet builder type parlays that they place just because it's the Super Bowl and they feel like, hey, this is my time to bet a little bit more than I usually do or bet a little bit more often than I usually do. The recreational betters are going to need that little walkthrough for that. That might be something like, as I was saying, with the retention that you can build up over time. You can say, hey, you know, you notice you bet on the Super Bowl and notice you then made a bet on your favorite team during one of the weeks. And then you can, as they get more comfortable with the app and more familiar with the offerings, they're like, hey, I wonder what this thing is. And they're like, oh, this is actually more up my speed because it's something that's giving me a little bit bigger payout for adding my bets together. So I think over time, 
you'll see some of those recreational betters continue to migrate over to the SGP type products. I think during the Super Bowl, you'll probably see on a, a percentage basis, you'll probably see more. But on a percentage basis, because of the number of new recreational betters, you'll probably see a lower amount of parlay type bets. Awesome. That's all I got. And again, appreciate you joining and, and giving some insights. I thought that was really, really interesting. We'll catch up with you after the game later in this episode to get some of your thoughts. Joining us now is Cami's own David Ball, head of pre-match NFL trading. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Good to be on board. We're jumping right into it. Let's talk about right after the championship games ended. What do those preparations look like as we're getting ready for the Super Bowl? Yeah, we're prepared well in advance to make sure that as soon as we know that Super Bowl matchup, we can be straight to market as soon as we knew it was going to be Chiefs 49ers. was able to, to post MVP various touchdown scorer bets as well as of course the the main spread and and total we'd we looked at what what lines we want to go with as a team and adjusted based off those games and um, we know the best inputs for our model for each team so that helps us to quickly price markets like touchdown scorer so we were able to get a lot of the core offers online right away and then the work in the, in the following week we spend monday to thursday adding all the rest of the best offers all of the team has a different assignment someone's looking at passing props someone's looking at punting props and everything like that so they're able to do a deep dive on some of those markets and that enables us to to get a, a very large offering online within a short amount of time How's our pre-match offering changed in previous years? And what have people like to bet on historically? And does that kind of alter the type of markets that we look at and get up faster? Or how does it look like this year? It's a lot more dynamic than previous years. If you compare to, to when these two teams met in the Super Bowl four years ago, mm-hmm. back then we had a big offering, but not as dynamic. You could find some pre-packaged parlays offers like Kelsey to score first touchdown and Chiefs to win as, as a pre-packaged parlay, but you were fairly limited in, in other things you could combine that with. Whereas if you go on a, on a Canby Sportsbook today under the Bet Builder tab, you could put in Kelsey first touchdown scorer. You could combine it with, with the total, a team total, a Patrick Mahomes prop, a 49ers player, up and, and build all sorts of different outcomes. That's really increased the amount of different offers that players can bet on. And it's created some more time for us as a trading team because so much of that is automated. We're not manually creating all these prepackaged parlays. So we can look at things that have historically garnered a lot of interest examples of those tend to be the the novelty stuff that you don't really see that often in a regular season game offers like an offensive lineman to score a touchdown opening mm-hmm. kickoff to be returned for a touchdown those kind of things we, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff happen in super bowls you see teams come out with trick plays so we react to that 
a market like a quarterback to make reception, something we added after the Philly special, um, mm. obviously when Nick Foles caught one. So they're always kind of paying attention to what's happening in, in the NFL and trying to add better offers that, that tap into that. I think every year we see operators offer more unique markets. What does that process look like? Is there a brainstorm of new ideas that you then have to take to the regulatory team and make sure that we're allowed to offer them? How does that kind of work each year? It starts really after after the previous year's Super Bowl. So the mm. best time really, I think, to come up with new ideas for, for next year is, is in the weeks after. So I'll ask around the team, see if anyone has any ideas and things they thought of this year. Because it's often the case where as you're watching the game or in the build-up, you think, oh, that would have been a good idea. Mm. Noting that down for the next year. And then it would really be a case of thinking, okay, how does that work in our system? How do we create that? How will it look? And yeah, in some cases, it, it might be something that you'd need regulatory approval for. Any any new offer, we need to run that by our regulatory compliance team. So we try and do all that brainstorming well before a new season. We might come up with some more new ideas during the season and add to it. But hopefully going into January, we've already got a good idea of any new offers we want to come out with so then we can communicate that to our operators so they can prepare for the marketing. Last thing I want to talk about is bet builder and, and same game parlays. Obviously those have become huge in the US market. We've seen an increase on percent of same game parlays placed each NFL season for the last four or five years. How has that changed betting on the Super Bowl? Um, is that something that you obviously take into consideration when you're putting markets up? How has that changed things? Well, I think same game parlays are ideal for the Super Bowl because mm. it's one standalone game. So it's not like a regular Sunday slate where you can combine a few different teams to cover. So it's ideal for this sort of scenario. The big thing with it is people are taking a lot of touchdown scorer combinations you've definitely got to be wary of um, some of the big payouts on those and if you get a game like we did last year 73 points i think it was a lot of same game parlays paid out with jalen hurt scoring multiple times kelsey scoring a lot that stuff is popular so we need to be paying attention as a trading team to all those different scenarios it doesn't really change what we offer from the regular season to the playoffs in terms of which markets will be part of the, the bet builder. But our process needs to be really on, on top of those different scenarios so we're, we're aware and can manage any really large potential payouts. Appreciate you joining, David. As always, we hope you have a successful game on your end and hopefully you're able to kick back and, and enjoy it a little bit and then take some time off afterwards. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Hoping for a good game and not too many offensive linemen touchdowns. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, David. Great to speak with our guests before kickoff, and now we're back post-Super Bowl with part two of the episode. 
game itself started off a little bit slow, but the Niners struck first, taking a 10-3 lead into halftime. But as Mahomes and company have showed in years past, never count them out as underdogs. The second half picked up as missed extra point following a 49ers touchdown set up the Chiefs to charge down the field at the end of regulation to force overtime, just the second time in the history of the Super Bowl. Kansas City seized the opportunity and scored the walk-off winning touchdown to win their second Super Bowl in a row and third in five years. And with that, we'll now be joined by Danny Dorenzo from GeoComply to discuss the growth in sports betting login attempts for the game across different states, Camby's own Hugh Arnold to discuss the strategy of trading the game live, and finally, Steve Ruddick will join again to discuss some betting data that came out of the game. So our next guest joins us from GeoComply, who put out a great report following the Super Bowl, which highlights the growth of betting on the game. Senior Director of Government Relations, Danny Dorenzo. Thanks for joining, Danny. Peter, thanks so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. And after every Super Bowl, I think it's become quite a tradition now that GeoComply puts out some numbers about the activity we've seen over the weekend. So I'm happy to continue that tradition. Yeah, something I think we all in the industry look forward to, that's for sure. So with that being said, let's kind of jump right into it. I guess every year it seems like the predictions come out from the AGA and everything that this year will be the most bet on Super Bowl seem to have happened again this year. So from what GeoComply saw, what did login attempts look like for this year compared to years past? Yeah, so year over year from the Super Bowl in in 2023 to, to the one this past weekend, we saw a 22% increase in uh, geolocation checks. That's throughout Super Bowl weekend, so that would be Saturday and Sunday. We also saw a 15% year-over-year increase in the number of unique player accounts that were geolocated. So certainly some growth. You know, Obviously, since last year's Super Bowl, we've had some new markets introduced to the legal industry, which I'm sure contributed to some of that. As we go through some of this data, it's quite interesting to me to see how some of the illegal markets, the markets that haven't yet legalized online sports betting have grown tremendously as well. That's a good segue into my next question. Both the teams that were in the Super Bowl were from states where betting isn't legal and regulated yet, that being California, Missouri. So I know you guys do the real-time pin drop map, which are also always really cool to see. Were the borders of those states pretty crowded, as well as other states where sports betting might not be legal, but I guess particularly California, Missouri? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with California. In terms of the, the growth year over year in, in, in number of geolocation checks from California that we process, that would be players in California trying to access legal sports books in other markets. We saw about a 40% growth rate year over year over Super Bowl weekend. So that's almost twice the national average. Pretty significant. In terms of border activity in California, we don't see a lot of border activity. And most of that's probably because the large population areas in California aren't close to a, a legal gaming market. Most of them are on the coast. So we don't see a lot of border activity there. Now, quite the opposite is true in Missouri, yes. right? You have major population centers in Kansas City that is obviously split between Missouri, which is an illegal market, and Kansas, which is a legal market. We see tremendous amounts of clustering there. And also on the eastern side, we see St. Louis, Missouri, which borders a legal market in Illinois, and we see tremendous amounts of clustering there. And again, that correlates directly with their large population centers. But in Missouri, in particular, year over year, we saw a 51% increase in geolocation checks from players in Missouri attempting to access books. And most of those books were either in Kansas or Illinois. And we saw a 30% increase and unique player accounts year over year in Missouri. So that's about double the national average. The really interesting thing is when you start looking at other markets that haven't yet legalized, keep in mind the national average increase in geolocation checks was 22%. In Georgia, illegal market, we saw 87% increase year over year. 
Alabama, 78%. Mississippi, 52%. Texas, 42%. So all of these were double, or in, in the case of Georgia, almost quadruple the national average in terms of you know, the, the interest in those markets to access legal sports books. It's also interesting to look at how those states impact legal markets that they border. Okay, again, remember the national average in growth for legal markets was about 22%. Tennessee, which borders Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama, the increase there year over year was 38%, and 34% in terms of unique players, so double the national average. Louisiana, which borders Mississippi, saw a 33% increase in geolocation checks and a 28% increase in unique player accounts. So again, almost double. Iowa saw a 35% increase year over year. So again, far outpacing wow. the national average. So I think the, the takeaway for me from looking at all that data is that A, the demand for legal sports betting is growing and even in markets where it's not yet legal. And the states where it is legal that border those markets are truly benefiting from those markets remaining illegal. Yeah, for sure. What were some of the top states overall? I, I assume New York, New Jersey towards the top. Were there any that surprised you? In terms of overall traffic, yeah, those would be, you know, still the, the top markets for sure. In terms of year over year growth, New York only grew by about 20%. And I say only 20%, like that's a bad thing, right? In yeah. most businesses, that's tremendous growth. And it is for sure. But you have to remember the dynamic of New York. The vast majority of the population lives very close to markets that have been legal for, for quite a time, right? Connecticut, New Jersey, they've been around for a while. So nothing in that the New York dynamic has really changed too much in terms of markets legalizing around them. The thing that jumped out at me actually was Ohio. Year over year, we saw about a 20% decrease in Ohio. Actually, I think it was 26%. And there's a couple factors that play into that. I think we tend to see a little bit of a dip in the second year of a market, the second Super Bowl, so to speak, Not usually not quite as active as the first. But then you also had Kentucky legalize, which wasn't legal during last year's Super Bowl. So surely that Cincinnati area lost some some people betting to the legal market in Kentucky. Very cool. Let's look at the game itself a little bit. Pre-match is obviously busy time. People placing a tons of bets before kickoff. What was kind of the peak login attempts throughout the game? Did traffic stay consistent throughout or did you see spikes in traffic during key moments like fumble recoveries or at halftime or going into overtime? We have a really neat metric that we, we look at and it's called transactions per second, right? So it's the number of geolocation checks we do in a second. And it's really important internally for us because it, it speaks to, you know, the volumes we can handle, latency for the player, and really minimizing any downtime whatsoever. But right before kickoff for us was the peak transactions per second. And it was over 15,000 transactions per second we were processing. And to put that in perspective, that's double the peak that we hit last year during wow. the Super Bowl. So right before kickoff for sure was the peak. And it becomes a bit of a challenge to determine um, sometimes. Sometimes we can do it, sometimes we can't. Super Bowl is so busy that it's pretty steady throughout, right? So tying a peak in transactions to an individual event becomes a bit challenging because the volume is pretty steady. But we also saw another spike right at the beginning of halftime where we were doing over 8,000 transactions per second. We averaged uh, in about a 10-minute period at the start of halftime. And then the next peak that really stood out was beginning of overtime to the end of the game, where once again, we, we hit over 8,000 transactions per second. 
the rest of the game, pretty consistent, not not at that level that I just discussed, but pretty steady throughout for sure. Awesome. Well, we look forward to it and hopefully we get a chance to speak again this time next year and talk about that further growth. But for now, I really appreciate you joining and, and thanks for your time. Thanks again for having me, Peter. Now we'll talk to someone who was in the trenches trading as the game developed, Camby's own head of NFL and baseball live trading, Hugh Arnold. Thanks for taking the time to speak to me today, Hugh. Thanks for having me. So how was the Super Bowl from a live perspective? Just big picture. Was it more active than years past? About the same? How how did it go? Overall, it went really well. From our side of things, things ran very smoothly. Super Bowls are always interesting games to trade. There's always extra offers that we put on site, which means more traders and just more activity in general. It was about where we expected things to be and, and fairly similar to, to last year as well. Yeah, it's a very active game from a betting perspective. The first half, a little slow, but there were some key moments that I was wondering if I could pick out and get your take on what that was like for you guys. So in the first quarter, the very first drive of the game, Niners are driving. It looks like they might get some points on the board and fumble is recovered by Kansas City. Did we see a lot of activity after that fumble or did it kind of level off? I imagine maybe a lot of people jumped on some Kansas City lines there knowing Mahomes was coming in first drive and Andy Reid has a history of being pretty successful coming off of bye weeks. So what did that look like? Yeah, no, exactly that. The whole game, it was tough to keep players away from Kansas. They seem to be the consensus all game. More so, we, we see a lot of activity where those teams' prices inflate. And so as Niners drive down the field, even while they still have possession, we'll see a string of bets for Kansas thinking that they'll get the ball next and, and likely go down and score themselves. And so thinking that the market will sort of correct itself after that second score. But yeah, no doubt that fumble flipped the market sort of back to something similar to what we saw in pre-match. The whole flow of the game, particularly in that first half, Kansas falling back by the margin that they did. It was hard to keep players away from Kansas. It's interesting because the first half was a lot of punts as opposed to points on the board. So does that kind of change things for you guys and, and your strategy as you're trading this game live? To a certain extent, yeah, it's it's always tough on the totals. It's hard to control where they're going to be, particularly you don't know how long this sort of possession swap's going to go on for and, and when that pattern will break. And we saw that at the start of the second half as well. We sort of had three or four drives in a row where they just went three and out. So it's always hard to, to keep a lid on totals and keep them exactly where we want them to go without falling too low in the market. But besides that, the sort of general switching of possession there sort of keeps things fairly steady in the betting. No real advantage for either team in the field position battle, which is probably good for betters as well because the prices would be fairly stable on those main markets. Instant markets would be jumping around all, all the time and quarters and things like that. But in terms of the, the main markets that we see, they would stay reasonably steady in those situations. After first half, low scoring, 49ers go in with the lead. What's the process like at halftime? And, and what kind of factors do you take into consideration when adjusting the markets, both straight line bets and player props? We're pretty fortunate in that most of our markets will be priced by the model that we have, including all of our player props. So before we even need to have a think about that, the model does put us in a good starting position. 
Kansas scoring just before the break does change things a bit, particularly then getting the ball start the second half as well. Trying to adjust for them to likely make a bit of a comeback, even though they were still seven down. So trying to position ourselves that way and then setting up the player prop markets in, into a similar spot. So if Kansas are to come back, then we expect big games from the likes of Mahomes and Kelsey and, and some of their other big players. And so trying to position ourselves in that way as well, just to make sure all the markets are linked. It does make a bit of sense that they would all be intertwined. And then similar to San Francisco on the other side, if they're to give up the comeback, then we say, okay, Purdy's probably not going to pass as much and sort of adjust that way as well. So if they're not going to pass, then we expect more rushing. And so we've got to be in the right line for McCaffrey and the like. Pretty fortunate that we have a good starting base with, with the tools that we have. And then we can sort of adjust as we feel fit rather than trying to fight what, what our initial prices are to get them to where we want them to be. And yet we got a bit more control. This game was really interesting because it was only the second to go into overtime. The only other Super Bowl to go into overtime was 2017 New England Patriots and Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl, the infamous 28 to three comeback. What does that look like for you guys? Because that is something that doesn't happen often at all. So as you're going into overtime, what sort of things are you looking at? What are you preparing for? Uh, obviously, new overtime rules that came into effect last postseason. How'd you get ready for that? Well, that was the most interesting part for us. That was the first time we'd seen those new overtime rules. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw the confusion with some of the players there as well. We weren't quite sure where the advantage would be, particularly in the coin toss. Right. We see in regular season that coin toss is so important, getting that first possession, whereas the feeling was a little bit mixed there. If Kansas had have had possession first, I don't know if they go for that fourth down in their own territory and, and keep that drive going and eventually go down a score. So it was a little bit different from a live trading perspective, trying to weigh up the options on the fly. And then overtime is always a pretty volatile time to trade. There's not a lot of markets on site, but every down changes the market. Kansas going into a fourth and one, needing that play, obviously they're, they're going to be a a pretty low chance of winning at that point. But as soon as they go into the first down afterwards, then it becomes pretty even again. And it, it can be hard sort of trying to contain some of those big movements. It's definitely a fun thing to do at the same time. It, it's exciting. And one of the reasons we enjoy doing the live side of things is that sort of high volatility as well. And for me, that's part of the fun of the live stuff is finding yourself in situations that you don't normally see and, and trying to come up with the right prices. Glad you had a successful Super Bowl. Hope you got to enjoy it a little bit as you were also working your way through it. But appreciate you kind of taking the time to just talk about your process throughout. Thanks for having me. Definitely a fun Super Bowl this year. So joining us again is Steve Ruddick. He's going to go over some of the numbers to come out of the Super Bowl on the Camby Network. We saw about two-thirds of the bets on the Chiefs. As far as same-game parlays go, we saw about a 5% increase on the Camby Network compared to last year. 26% of the bets were same-game parlays. They had a share of in-game handle that more than tripled. And total handle was about 150% higher than the next largest event on the Camby Network. So Steve, wondering if any of these numbers surprised you or... Yeah, I think it's a testament to the recreational bettors' familiarity with SGPs and in-game betting now. So some of the uh, pre-coverage of the event was that it was still going to be 
mainly push of traditional bets, money line. And what I think we saw from the Canby network and elsewhere is that the SGPs performed pretty well among the casual better. The product itself is built for a casual better. So I think it, it makes a lot of sense when we look at it. As predicted before the game, handle and the amount of bets kept growing. So I'm wondering if there's any other numbers to come out of this one that caught your eye. Yeah, so Nevada's numbers were really good. So they had a record-setting handle. Um, Obviously, the outcome of the game didn't work as well for them. They had only had about $7 in revenue, but that's not always what it's about in these big game moments. That was really big. I think there were a couple other interesting stats that we've seen as uh, more and more information trickles in. An increase in female betters this year. Some people chalk that up to the Taylor Swift effect. It could just yep, be, exactly. again, it could be familiarity with the product. There has been a push for getting into different demographics that traditional sports betters. And we saw a lot of new accounts too. GeoComply does some data stuff from new accounts. And I think what we saw there is that as much as we didn't have a number of states come online this year, we're still seeing a lot of interest in betting across the board. So these other markets are maturing. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for operators everywhere, not just in new markets. Seems to be the focus of everybody is this market's new, this market's new, but still a lot of betters out there in the uh, more mature markets. And also seeing a lot of more parity across the board with app downloads. So you get some new challenger brands, some of the existing brands that are reconfiguring. So you have a lot of a lot more parity than you've had in years past, where it was just like two, maybe three operators that were getting the bulk of the signups. Key takeaway again this year, betting on the Super Bowl was a was a success for all and still room for growth. So it'll be interesting to see where this all goes in the future. Yeah, yeah. I think what we're going to see down the line, if I can put on my forecasting hat for a minute, is just more of the same, just a, a continued incremental growth of SGPs, of other new products. Start seeing more and more states come online. The traditional demographics of sports betting start to even out a little bit more. I think everything's just going to continue in the same trend we've been seeing the last two years. Awesome. Well, Steve, thanks again for joining. This has been great to get your input before and after the game, and hopefully we speak again soon. Appreciate you. And for more information on the rise of same game parlays, you can listen to our last CambiCast Spotlight wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our guests for joining. It was a great Super Bowl, and we appreciate everyone's time. To learn more about Camby, visit us at Camby.com or on our social channels. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the CambiCast Spotlight, and we hope to see you on the next one.